And so it is, friends, as we continue our study this morning, I want to invite you to open up your Bibles to Colossians chapter 1, and uh, we're going to be sitting on verses 3 through 8. We started on this journey last week. We observed Paul's attitude of thankfulness, and, and, and again, it's very appropriate and also sets the stage for, uh, as we're going to approach the Thanksgiving season, just to really ponder and really consider this prayer, which many scholars would say, hey, this is a prayer that's very long. It goes all the way to verse 23. Um, and then you have this Christological hymn that starts in verse 15. Um, however, we're just focusing right now on verses 3 through 8. And um, as we read it, this is what the Word of the Lord says as a reminder to us what we started reading last week. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of this you have heard before the word of the truth, the gospel, which has come to you as indeed in the whole world, it's bearing fruit and increasing as it also does among you, since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. May our ears be Attentive, may our minds be open, may our hearts open up to the word of the Lord this morning. Let's pray. Father, thank you once again for your word. May our minds be ever ready. May our hearts be discerning to ponder the truth that's being described here in the Apostles' Prayer for the believers in Colossians. Lord, may this be our prayer also. May we seek to uh, just observe some of the elements and the characteristics and the words used, described in this text that we too may seek those um, elements of grace that they may be manifested in our community here as they are throughout the whole universal church. Father, once again, this is your word. Speak to us today. We pray in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. So, again, friends, last week we considered Paul's attitude towards thankfulness. And we talked about how this theme of thanksgiving is an overarch um, throughout verses 3 all the way down to verse 14. Um, however, uh, one of those re reminders is, and I shared with you this uh, chiasm, chiasmus, or chi chiasm, um, that, that it's a literary tool that is used in the scriptures to analyze and be able to unpack what is the heart of the matter. And here we, we, we see it plainly in, 
in the middle of this, what you see is kind of like an arrow. So at the point of the arrow, really flushes out for us what the heart of this prayer is all about. And if you observe that, you'll notice in letter C, um, the first part of, of verse 6, it says, which has come to you. The question is, what has come to them? What has come to the believers in Colossae? The gospel, right? The gospel. Something, as you study the book of Colossians, there was a heresy. Many people have many different theories about what that heresy was. Some people believe it was Judaism, the legalism, the observation of laws and aesthetic practices of the Lord. Or some people believe it was a paganism that was creeping in to the, the, the body of believers there. Other people believe it was some form of Gnosticism, the love of knowledge and philosophy, the enlightenment of the mind. Some people believe because it was Asia Minor, the influence of Eastern religion and mysticism creeping into the church. Whatever that heresy was, it is very evident that the heresy that was infiltrating the church in Colossae was attacking the very foundational principle and the basis of all Christian faith, the grace of God in the life of the believer. When we begin to add to Jesus' work on the cross of Calvary, and we say, yes, that's good, but we better be careful. Because then we start getting into, into heresies that would teach and would, and would like us to believe things that have to be added on as almost as to say that the work, the redemptive work of the cross is insufficient. And that's what this is getting at. And so Paul begins this prayer and saying, hey, I thank God since the day you have heard. Indeed, not only you, my friends, but throughout the world, how's that? Sometimes we're, we're, we're so skewed. I've heard this comment in various circles. Oh, the church in America is dying. Well, you know, that might be true in certain circumstances. But let me tell you, friends, the global church of Christ is not dying. It's actually thriving. And as we consider the revival happening throughout the world and the many lives that are coming to the gospel and the many people being baptized and transformed and making their allegiance and confessing and professing the name of Jesus Christ, that is glorious. I too pray, my friends, that we too here in Clovis experience the power, the transformation power of the gospel in the lives of many who will hear it. And so that's what, what, what Paul is praying at the core of this prayer. He's saying, I thank God for which has come to you as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing. There's, there's a saying that says, healthy things grow. I don't know if you've ever heard that. Healthy things grow. You know what? Sometimes we're tempted to preach a, a, a message that's very motivational when we should, preaching, we should be preaching Christ and Christ crucified. It's so tempting to want to preach the latest fad, but we need to preach the power of the cross, which would be foolishness to the world, but it's the wisdom of God which is powerful 
Paul would tell the church in Corinth. So here, my friends, as we consider this prayer a little bit more, I wanted to focus on this, this reason for thankfulness, this reason for thanksgiving. And, and, and so here's a few things that we're going to consider. And, and listen, bear with me for a few minutes here. First of all, the first thing that we want to just extract from this whole uh, uh, prayer here in these verses is that the gospel is both truth and grace. Look how Paul describes this in verse 5 and 6. Of this, verse 5 um, would tell us, of this you have heard before the word of the truth, comma, the gospel. So Paul is the one that who describes how this, this gospel is the word of truth. And then in verse 6, as we just have read, since the day you heard it and understood, look how he describes the gospel at the end of this verse. The grace of God in truth. You know, we live in a society that, I, I, and I have these types of conversations with my son. There is no absolute truth. It's almost as if Paul is saying, hey, this is the, for the believer, we don't, we don't start unpacking and searching the truth. Our foundation is the truth, which is the gospel. And that Jesus said, you will know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. So we don't come into Christianity to be in bondage again, to practice this religion of moralistic rightness and wrongness. We, are, we, we enter the gospel, and we experience true freedom in Christ. That's a powerful statement, my friends, because, again, anything that diminishes that truth, that central truth in Jesus Christ, and we begin to tack on building blocks of legalism and ascetism and practices, that could be a very dangerous recipe for our church because then we'll love the religion more than we'll love the God of the religion. We'll love more the Scripture than the God of the Scripture. You following? And so this, this begins to unpack that. Now, listen how Paul just, again, in other writings, Galatians 3, 26 through 28 for, for this matter. Look what Paul, and, and, and this is a very, mm, I would say, tense verse, and, and depends because it has various implications for us uh, when we consider the gospel. Paul would suggest the gospel is for all people. That includes all people groups of every ethnic background, of every language. And look at what Galatians 3, 26 through 28 says. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons. Now, you're all sons. How about daughters? <laughs> um, they're included in there. That's, neither, that's, that's gender neutral. You're all sons. When they say, you're all sons of God, whether you're a woman or a man. You're all sons. You're all children of God, right? But he, here's the qualifier. For in Christ, you, Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. That's the qualifier, through faith. And then he goes on in verse 27. For as many as you were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Look what he's suggesting here. Just like you put on your, 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 this morning I'm wearing my Operation Christmas Child sweater. So just like I put on my sweater, we put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. Check this out for your theology. There is neither male and female. 
for you are all one. If I could use that, I remember this, this shit. So I act out some, sometimes what I see in, in Sunday school and vacation. Like one. <laughs> You're all one. In Christ Jesus. That is powerful, friends. Because then again, in the gospel, it creates this new humanity that Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 and on talk about. This new man. This new humanity. Or, or how about John's own words which describe this cosmic vision of eternity in Revelation chapter 5, verses 9 through 10. Look how it reads. This cosmic praise happening in the heavens. And he says the following. And they sang a new song. That's the gospel, my friends. The gospel gives us a new song to sing. I sounded like a broken record before, but when Jesus came into my life, he gave me a new song. Uh, check this out. He says, and, and, and they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And check this out, because this isn't gender either. This is neutral. It says, um, he says, and you have made them a kingdom and priest to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. That, that is a powerful cosmic vision that John was recording of the heavens. Nobody can date that, but we know that's something to come. And that praise of new song to him who was worthy to open the scroll and break the seals because by his blood he purchased the people unto God. Amen. Hallelujah. And so, for Paul, this diversity found in Colossae was a confirmation of his own calling to the Gentile world. But this didn't start with Paul. For Isaiah chapter 49, verses 5 through 6, remind us of this. And now, the Lord says, He who formed me, in the womb to be his servant to bring Jacob back to him and Israel that it might be gathered to him for I am honored in the eyes of the Lord and my God has become my strength he says it is too light of a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel but here it is 49 Isaiah 49 Verse 6, I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach till the end of the earth. The gospel wasn't, you know, if you study early American literature and you study um, um, the issues of slavery and you see how religion was used to distort the truth and the power of the gospel. You come to find out that there was even a Bible that was written just for slaves. You can, you can do the research yourself. There was a, a Bible written for slaves that took out every concept of liberation, freedom in Christ, grace, and oneness. 
And that Bible with some distorted preachers that were paid and, and accepted the, the money preached the gospel of slavery and submission to their masters. This is a real thing, friends. Again, um, European was guilty. Uh, the Spaniards did the same thing with indigenous people all over South America, where they used religion to enslave and submit people to things that were not in line with the true gospel. So again, this is important for us because the gospel is the power of God. Again, look what Paul told the church in Rome. He said this, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. The power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also the Greek. Here's the qualifier. Verse 17, For in the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. And then he closes off by saying, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. And this is what Paul was alluding to here in the book of Colossae. Second thing, we see how this gospel has an end result. Now, I'm not suggesting that that's it. What we experience here in this life is the end result of the gospel. This carries on into eternity. And, and, and so Paul is here, he's trying to bring back the attention of the believers in Colossae by telling them, hey, there's an end result of the gospel. Here it is. Since we heard of your faith, he would tell them, since we heard of your faith, this participle we heard identifies the reason for his thanksgiving. Have you, I get so excited when I hear testimonies of life transformation. When, I, when, when you run into somebody who's been battling with addiction or, or just struggling with, with the power of sin over their lives, and then the word of truth, the melody of the gospel rings and transforms from their thinking to their heart. Man, that brings so much joy and excitement to hear how somebody's life is being transformed by the power of of that God. And that's what Paul was saying. Man, I heard of your, your faith. Uh, I, I asked you guys last week, when was the last time you were so excited about telling somebody when Jesus came into your heart as your Lord and Savior? How joyful were you in sharing that with a friend or a colleague or at school or wherever you're at, at the store? When was the last time that joy just came out of your heart? Paul here, he, he didn't meet these people. He didn't know. Some people believe he, he didn't know anyone there. Well, it's hard to say that because he knew Onesimus, and Onesimus lived in Colossae. So he knew some people. He just didn't know all of them. But yet, he was so excited when he heard about their faith. Not only that, some people call this a trio of grace. Elements of grace. Observe these in the text. Because these, when I, when I read these in, in the original language, man, I was so pumped. I was so excited. Because some, author, some scholars say, hey, these are the, the, the elements that are found in true Christian community. Observe. Observe with me. The first one is found at the beginning of verse 4, at the first part of that verse. It says, since we've heard of your faith, here's the qualifier, because people have faith. Everyone has faith, a level of faith. 
But Paul says, since we heard of your faith in, right? I love that word, like in Christ. So it's not just this generic type of faith. Oh, yeah, I believe in God. There's something about the faith that Paul is unpacking here in Colossae that is life-giving, that is life-transformational, something that creates a newness, right? Get a load of this. Look what he says to, to them again in Colossians 1, in this very similar text, verses 7 and 8. He says, just as you heard, learned it from Epaphras. So where did the gospel come to the believers in Colossae? From Epaphras. They heard it from Epaphras. Those of you who have been here at Clovis, at some point in your spiritual journey, some other pastor, some other leader, some other brother perhaps isn't here today, but, but had an influence in your life to your conversion. For me, it was, a, it was a, a loving sister who was my Sunday school teacher, my youth leader when I was a kid. She invested so much into my life that I aspired to become a follower of Jesus. Phenomenal. And that's similar here. Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant, he is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf, and he has made known to us your love in the Spirit. And if you observe a little bit more, this word um, faith is, is not just used as a noun, but it's also translated as a verb. So it includes words like trust, commitment, and belief in the truth related in the gospel. It's an action word. And that's important for us because the same thing is found and used in the Gospel of John. Sometimes we want to think of it just as a, as a, as a one-time deal, but the word belief is an ongoing activity. And that, 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 that's what Paul is. is it's, it's something that's Christ-centered, right? The faith that we have is in, in Jesus. Now, this is interesting because, for example, when you read the book of Colossians is like a broken record. In Christ, in Christ, in Christ, in Christ. And it's like, okay, Paul, we got it. It's in Christ. But there's something about the repetition that was brought in from the Jewish and the, and the Judaism that was a very good practice for the believers of today. Which I suggest in the 21st century, it's good practice for us. Repetition, 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 repetition. Because we are people who tend to forget. <laughs> I heard some of you there, right? We tend to, we, we're, we're, we're prone, my friends. We are prone to easily pass through a truth that defines and really is our worldview. Christ, the Bible, his word of truth, his word of grace is our worldview. And it's so easily especially as we're going to enter into the year of politics, into elections, to take sides with the donkey or the elephant or the green, when Jesus should be our worldview as we enter into the politics. And so, look what Paul tells them in, in, in verse 27. And I know that we've repeated this verse over there. To them, God, to them, God chose. Who chose? Who chooses who will be part of this gathering of local believers? The pastor? No. The elders? No. Who chooses who will be here or not? God. 
he calls people into fellowship. And so he says, to them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of his mystery. And he tells them here in verse 27, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Young people, friends, let us not be encouraged by numbers. Let us be encouraged by Christ in us, the hope of glory. Christ Jesus in us, for us, with us. He goes before us. He surrounds us. Again, Colossians 1.9. He says, and so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding the faith that is found in the gospel. Um, Colossians uh, 2.18 through 19. Look what he says there. Let no one disqualify you. Friends, let no one disqualify you. How are people being disqualified? Well, perhaps because of the way they're dressed, the way they look, how long they've been in church. You haven't gone through class membership 101, 201, 301, so therefore you can't. All of that, don't let no one disqualify you. But look, look what he says here. Let no one disqualify you, you, insisting on ascetism and worship of angels. What is ascetism? This is, this is dangerous because sometimes when we think of ascetism, we think of, oh, wow, you know, what are you trying to say, pastor? You don't pray, you don't fast, you don't have these. No, that's good. It has its place. But all of that is done with the view of Christ in front of us. Otherwise, we're just going to be lifting up our collars and saying, hey, look, look, friends, how much I fast and how much I pray. That, that type of ascetic or, or, or ascetism, that re religion um, observation of laws and traditions. That's what was happening here through Judaism, if that's the case, if that was the heresy here. But he says, let no one insisting on ascetism and worship of angels, going on detail about visions, puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind, and not holding fast to the head. Who is the head? Christ. Once again, there, there's, if we haven't had enough, there goes Paul in his, in, his, in his subtle description of Christ. Without using the name Christ, he says, the, fast to the head from whom the whole body, this morning's class we talked about what was the body of Christ, the church, both the lo local and the universal, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with growth that is from God. I, I say, you know, if I tell you I ride bikes, but I don't ride bikes, then I guess I'm just blowing smoke. Or if I exercise, but I don't exercise, and I tell you I exercise, I'm just blowing smoke. But when I exercise, I'm, what am I using? Ligaments and muscles, and I'm stretching, and I'm stretching them, and what am I doing? I'm building. That's the same thing that happens at church. When church is alive, it stretches itself. It pulls itself all under the head, which is Christ Jesus. Isn't that a beautiful thing? It's a wonderful thing, my friends. And so, notice not only the faith for, for, for in Christ, but look, notice the second thing he talks about there, the love for the saints in, in, the, in the second part of verse 4. And he says it's so subtle, right? Agape. 
that unconditional love, that, that brotherly love, that, that, that agape love that encapsulates all of this. But, but look, look what he says. He says, that love that you have for all the saints. Again, he's not talking about the world here. He's talking about the love that we should have for one another in the body of Christ. That love that stretches us. That love that pulls and tugs and, 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 and is just growing. Why? Because God makes it grow. And you know what? Friends, how many of you don't like growth? Everyone here loves growth. They want to see healthy things growing. Well, some of us probably, well, I don't know. I don't want to keep growing older because then I, that means I, I, I can do less things. But growth does that to us. Growth causes us to do things differently. But here's the beauty of the growth that we are seeking in Christ. In Christ. That's the difference. In Christ. Say that with me. In Christ. And the love for one of the saints was that second evidence that was, that was there. So, so Paul was describing this love that's beyond abstract. Right? Because when we think about, well, how is love? How do you define it, Pastor? Right? Love is easier said than done. But, you know, for Paul, love was, was, was beyond the abstract. It was the display of faith that was a concrete manifestation towards every saint. Love was not abstract. It was a concrete manifestation towards every saint. In other words, it wasn't, hey, brother or sister, I'm going to pray for you. Hey, beyond prayer, how can I help you? How can I love? How can I demonstrate? And sometimes that's the hardest thing because I'll be honest. Let me, let me practice my last week's application, Acts, right? The C, it was an acrostic. The C represents confession. Let me confess to you. I struggle with pride, especially when it comes down to Pastor Pablo needing help. It's easier to go help others, but then it's very hard to say, hey, I need help. And true Christian community, because of its nature of being communal, man, I'm going to pray for you, brother. But please let me into your life so that I could take you a meal. Huh? That's concrete love being manifested in, in, in Christian community. And that's what he was getting at here. Again, this, 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 this word for love is not just a noun, but it's also translated into a verb. It demonstrates what love is. It comes to appreciate and have a high regard and appreciation for the object of that love. In this case, it's for one another. It's our mutual love. Jesus said this in John chapter 13. He said, when you love one another, the world will know that you are my followers. And so he gets into that. Well, well okay, so, so this thing of love is not just something that Paul just invented. Again, we can go to a, a, a Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 13, and look what he says. So now faith, hope, and love abide. Here's that trio grace, 
right? Here's that, that trio element that you're seeing here in Colossians. You're seeing it. Some people believe he took it from 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 13. He says, so now faith, hope, and love abide. These three, but the greatest of these is love. And he wrote a whole chapter on it. <laughs> 1 Corinthians chapter 13 is all about love. You want to know what love is? Go there. It gives you a good description. So, so love, it doesn't keep a record of wrong. It believes all. It hopes all. Wow. That's a hard thing. Today, Soshi and I, we're celebrating 29 years of marriage. Woohoo! Yeah. <laughs> She's all like, yeah. But when we talk about how, how, how our relationship has been for the 29 years, it hasn't been easy. It's been hard to, lo- to be loved, and it's hard to love at times. And that's where the, 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 the agape love, that unconditional love, comes and informs our worldview. And it helps us understand the type of love that God wants for our marriage and our relationships. So that's what Paul was saying. Look, 1 Thessalonians 1.3, we give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering you before the Lord, the God and Father, your work of faith and labor of love. He calls it labor of love. No wonder it's not easy to love. It's a labor of love. Remember that phrase, the next time it's hard to love somebody. It's a labor of love. So, so again, uh, Paul reminded the, the, the believers of their, of their love in Christ, right? Colossians 3, 12 and 14. He says, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And check this out. If anyone has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. What is the big thing that our world preaches today? Tolerance. Yet the world is nothing less than intolerable towards others. But yet, Paul would remind the believers in Colossae, forgive each other, for the Lord has forgiven you. Isn't it something? Even when you read the Lord's Prayer in Matthew chapter 6, he says, Father, forgive me my sins and trespasses as I forgive those who offend me. So that pattern of forgiveness, and then you read on into the Beatitudes, he talks about forgiveness. If you don't forgive your brother who has sinned against you, then God won't forgive you. That's a hard lesson. But there's a principle of forgiveness there that Paul is laying out to the uh, believers here. And above all, put on love, which binds up everything together. Okay. Here's one that I love, this, this last one here. Hope laid up in heaven. Notice how Paul phrased that in verse 5. Because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Again, what is the significance of this hope being laid up in heaven? You know, friends, I, I, and I, I think the older you are in the uh, gospel, here's, here's, this is just my assumption. So this isn't like scripture. This is just my experience as a believer in God. It's so easily, a friend of mine would describe it this way, and I don't know if this is correct, so please excuse me if this doesn't come out right. Little grace here. A friend of mine said, you know, sometimes we who are, are along in the gospel for many years, sometimes we tend to just sit on our blessed assurance. And, and, and 
And again, there is something about hope that should move us, that should inspire us, that should really uh, um, uh, propel us forward, right? Not just the, our great appointment with death, but something greater than that. Not just the cancer that one day, oh yeah, I'll be in glory and hallelujah. No more suffering, no more pain, no more this world. Bye, cruel world. See you later. We could call the cruel world losers. Bye, cruel world. But there's something about this hope that, that Paul is really reminding and injecting into the believers in Colossae. Notice what he says, because of this faith. What is the significance of this hope? Well, if you look at the significance, if you do a, like a literary analysis of this, right? And for those of you who are gra- grammatical junkies, this is for you. I'm not one of them. But, but when I observe this, right? If you, if, you, if you observe the subordinate clauses, right? That, that, that testify and place the emphasis on the word hope. What would you find? Love and faith. And love and faith spring from this hope that's being laid up in heaven for you. So for us, man, sometimes in life, we're like, like I said, uh, wait, maybe last Sunday or the week, we're dragging our arms on the floor. We're just like, we're walking like this throughout life because it's hard. The world seems to weigh, not, weigh, weigh us down. And it's almost like instead of being more excited, more passionate about what God's doing, we seem to be less excited, less motivated, less energetic. Sorry, I think in Spanish and I keep reminding myself, I've got to speak in English. I can if you want and pray that God will give you the gift of interpretation. <laughs> but, but, but okay, so, so what, what is it? This faith reminds us there's something greater beyond the horizon, beyond the next step of death. For the believer, we don't fear death. It's the next, it's the entry door into eternity with Jesus. And that, my friends, should inform us when we're looking at the loss going to hell. When we see our loved ones who haven't received and heard of the gospel when we see that guy stabbing his veins with that junk, or we see that person addicted and bound by the shackles of pornography, or we see that abusive relationship, or we see the, the children being sex trafficked, and all of that, that should really stir something up in us and hope, Lord, help us, but also send us as a messenger of hope and life to proclaim your truth that men may be delivered and come to know the power, the life-giving power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what Paul was telling these believers. Hey, don't get lost in the religion. Love the God of the religion. Don't get lost in the traditions. Make Jesus the tradition that guides and informs your life. That's a different type of way of using, viewing the gospel. But that's why Paul said, in Christ, in Christ, that which separates, Paul would tell the church in Ephesus in Ephesians 2, 11 and on. He says, 
things that created a separation and put up building blocks and barriers, the power of the cross destroyed. It tore it down. Therefore, you and I should not have any barriers when we come to Christ. We are all one in Jesus Christ. Praise the Lord for that. Praise the Lord for that. So what are our takeaways? And I'll wrap up with this and says that if you want to start making it up to the piano, what are our takeaways? Here's, here's three of them. Very quickly, three takeaways. This is very similar because you'll know when I say this, right? Faith without pragmatic works is dead. Pastor is not suggesting that you have to live your life with works. What I am suggesting is because of your faith, the end result will be your works. So we don't seek works to seek works. So say, oh, look what I'm doing, and oh, look at me. I'm, you know, feeding the poor, and I'm traveling. No. But because of my faith, Jesus does something in me with love and, and faith and, and his grace working in me and the hope that what comes out comes out in the form of a shoebox that will end up going somewhere around the world and will go to a child who I don't even know. But you know what? He does. And you never know. Maybe that child that receives that box might be your next pastor. <laughs> Am I working myself out of my job? <laughs> might be the next missionary. Might be the next artist. We don't know. But a simple, in, in, a simple investment can have a, and reap an eternal impact. And, and so that, that's, you know, faith without... James would say it a little bit. If you, like, if you want to be very biblical, go to James. I said, dude, you talk about faith all you want. But man, let me tell you, faith without works is dead. I think he beat those, those, those Christians up. I, I wouldn't want to be part of that audience, but that's the word of God. I got to wrestle with it. But this is what Paul was, in the essence, telling the guys in Colossae. Secondly, love for others is the ultimate test of our love for God. When you read the great commandment, and then you read James 2.8, it's almost like love for God was equated with love for others. When we say we love God, but we don't love others, John would say, you're a liar. You're deceiving yourself. And that's hard. But James would say, when you love others, you fulfill the royal law of Scripture. So love is the ultimate test by our love for one another. That's a, that, there was a hymn. Huh, Caesar? There was a hymn, right? Um, uh, uh, Christian love, our love for one another. I don't remember. But anyways, <laughs> some of you might remember that very well. Our love for one another is the ultimate test of our love for God. May our church be filled and may we have plentiful and abundant examples of love for one another. I don't like that church because they love you so much. I hope that's what they say about us. <laughs> we love each other well. And finally, our hope is not only for today. It is also a promise yet to come. And not only when we die, because it doesn't end there. 
it ends in the second advent. I remember, friends, growing up in church, my grandma would always talk about the Lord coming back. I'm like, Grandma, you passed away. What happened? Many of you have been waiting for the coming of the Lord. But that's our promise. So the next time you're struggling and you're agonizing in pain, remember, the story doesn't end here. It ends at His second coming. Would you please stand this morning? Father, perhaps our friends online are listening, and we would just pray this morning, Lord, that the gospel, the name of Jesus Christ, would just transcend space and time and go into that living room or wherever the person is watching. Would you transform that life? Would they respond by confessing that you are the Lord and that you were raised from the dead? And they confess it and believe it in their hearts. And as the scripture says, they shall receive a new life. Lord, perhaps us here today, we've grown tired. We've grown impatient. It's been hard, Lord. Hard year, hard turn. What's going to happen next? What does the future look like for Clovis EV free? Lord, help us not to worry. Help us to trust in you. Help us to keep stimulating each other in love and taking steps of faith and hope and love towards the future. Father, we thank you and we praise you in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.